So I don't know if you ever did anything like this, but when I was a kid, did you know that phones at the home were actually had a circular dial on them? Have you ever seen those? You still have one of those? Or you got to be kidding. Does it work? Amazing. So and not only that, they didn't have tones. They had bells. I mean, real bells. Like if it went off beside your head on the nightstand, come on, you, you were jolted out of your sleep, right? No, there was no night mode on it, no anything like that. It did not contain an alarm. It didn't have 7,000 songs or anything on it. I mean, it was just a phone, and that's all it did. In fact, when we moved from Lubbock to Post, we actually had a party line. Do you remember those? Now, that was actually a lot of fun for me as a kid. I'm just saying. It'd be like, hey, what's going on with our neighbors, Mr. Carpenter? Okay. So it was always interesting, but here's the thing. There was also something that we did as kids. I'm glad the kids are gone because we did these things called prank phone calls. Did you ever do that kind of stuff? Now listen, here's the thing. We actually had a real phone book back then. And I lived in Lubbock, so it was pretty big. It was pretty thick. And, and we would go into the white section, not the yellow section, right? We'd go into the white section. We'd flip it and randomly put our finger into the book I was a bad kid. I'm just telling you. I was wild. I lived on the wild side. Put our finger in the book, and whatever number it landed on, we would call them. And then when they answered, we'd try to sound like an adult. You know what I'm saying? When you're nine, it's not going to happen. But we tried. So once they answered, they'd say, hello. And I'd say, is your refrigerator running? They'd be like, uh, yeah, it is. I'd say, well, you better go catch it. Then I'd slam the phone down. And brilliant things like that. So me and my brother did those kinds of things. Well, one day we wanted to take it to a whole other level. Somebody better say, uh-oh. Yeah, this gets bad. So what we did was I was always fascinated with fire engines and police cars. And remember that show Emergency that came out, Engine 51? Remember that? It was just, man, I just love that stuff. But I thought, how cool would it be to have a fire truck, fire department show up on your block in front of your house? How cool would that be, right? Hey, when you're nine, that's amazing. So we went in there, we got mom's phone. I remember it was one of those weird yellow colors, I don't know, yellow gold. And I remember dialing. Now listen, we didn't dial 911. I saw a sign down on Main Street, we don't dial 911. Well, we didn't then either. We dialed zero, right? Or the actual fire department number. I dialed zero. And in my best adult voice at nine years of age, I said, there's a fire across the street, and I gave them my best friend Dalton Williams' address. <laughs> because he lived across the street. So we hung up, and then we waited, and the adrenaline was pumping. I mean, we were excited. My brother's all like, you're going to get in trouble, and it's just all that. And I'm like, shut up. You know, <laughs> typical big brother stuff. So we waited, and then here in just a little bit, a single patrol car, no lights, came slowly driving down the street. We're like, what? Where's the fire engine? And then it made a U-turn. We're watching from inside. Now, our house back then, we had a formal living room that had plastic on the couch. You know what I'm talking about? That was the room you never went into, and you never sat on any of that furniture, right? I always wondered, what is the point of that room? So we're standing in the big plate glass window. Me and my little brother, we're watching, and this police car stops right in front of Dalton's house. The policeman gets out of the car, walks up to the set. Whoa, now we're getting nervous. So, because we, we realize, okay, the, 
the fire department is not coming. We just called in a false alarm. And the police officer walks up. I see Dalton come to the door because it's just across the street. And he's standing there looking up at that police officer. And the police officer's talking to him. And we're wondering what he's saying. And then we realize because Dalton points to my house. <laughs> How did he know that we did that? As he points to our house, the police officer turns, and me and my brother are standing in that, that plate glass window like a frame, just standing in there shaking and scared to death. And long story short, that police officer comes over and has a chit-chat with my dad. This was on a Friday afternoon. Dad calls us in, boys, because that's what he called us. That's what we were, boys. And I always knew if dad said boys, we were in trouble. If mom called me by my middle name, Jimmy Dale, I was in trouble. I'm just saying. And it was boys. So we sat down, and he hardly said anything. And he was actually very calm. He said, I had a conversation with the police officer. And I understand that you made a phone call today. Yes. He said, tomorrow morning, I made a phone call myself. We are going to Central Fire Station in Lubbock, Texas. You're going to tell those firemen what you did. Not tomorrow morning. That's like 100 hours away to a kid, to a nine-year-old. All night long, we didn't sleep. We were up, my brother and I, we had bunk beds, and we were talking nearly, what's going to happen? Oh, my gosh, what are they going to do? Are they going to tie us up in those hoses and send us up in a bucket truck? I mean, we, our imaginations, we're nine, right? Nine and six, you're in my, it just goes. Next morning, we get up, we go to the firehouse, and we are scared to death. And we go in, and this very nice firefighter meets us and walks us in, and they sit down, and they begin giving us a tour of the firehouse. Of course, I'm thinking, when is the beating going to happen? When is, when is the whipping? When is the flogging? When is, you know, are they going to line us up and execute us? You know, when, when are the police going to, I mean, we were scared to death. And they gave us a tour, and what they did is they showed us what they did. And they were doing their morning stuff. On Saturday mornings, they run their bucket trucks up, and they run through all their equipment. And they were doing all that. And we got to watch all that, and they sat there and patiently explained what they were doing. Never once did anyone mention what we had done the day before. Never once did they call us out and give us what we deserved. Years later, well, actually, a very short time after that, my dad became a firefighter, and that was his station. And later, I used to go and spend nights at the firehouse, and my brother, too, and got to know those men. So I don't, know, I don't know if what we did precipitated that for my dad. I never asked. But I know it sure changed the way I viewed what we did. And here's what we got. We got mercy. You know what mercy is? Listen to this. Simple definition of mercy is this. It means that you don't get what you deserve. That's it. That's mercy. We received mercy. Did we des deserve the belt? I know we don't talk about that these days. That's like, ooh, dude, don't say the word belt. I'm, I've got CPS on speed dial. But back then, we didn't call 911 and we didn't call CPS. I'm just saying. I took my fair share of belt whippings, right? You know what I'm saying? And guess what? I earned every one of them. I'll own that. And this, this really precipitated one. We didn't get that. We didn't get what we deserved. You know what else we got? We got grace. You know what grace is? 
Grace means that you do get what you didn't earn and what you don't deserve. Grace takes it to a whole nother level. We were shown mercy and given grace. We got a tour of the firehouse for committing a criminal act. But you know what? I never called that number again. I never pulled a prank like that again because I respected and honored and realized what those men did for us. It was a lesson learned, but it was a bigger lesson than what happened in the moment than not calling the operator or making a prank call. The lesson was in mercy and the lesson was in grace. And it started me on a journey as a young man of beginning to understand and recognize the difference. Later, as a follower of Jesus, I had to learn that over and over again. But I have to tell you something. My dad taught us a massive lesson. My dad could have come down with a hammer, but instead he acted more like my heavenly father than an earthly father in that moment. And it modeled for me later when I connected the dots and had a this is that moment as a young man meeting Jesus and meeting Father through Jesus and being born again, I realized this is mercy, this is grace, this is that. What has he done for you? We're in a series called The Family Matters, and this is episode seven, which is week seven. I'm calling this The Prodigal God, and yes, I stole that title from Tim Keller because it's brilliant. Because what we tend to do in the story of the prodigal son, the parable, the story, is we tend to, because we're Westerners and because we're Americans and because we are a consumer culture, we tend to make that story about us. But did you know that all of the Bible is not about us? Did you know that it's actually about him? It's about the father. Tim Keller rightly renamed that story instead of the prodigal son, the prodigal father, the prodigal God. Now here's the deal. You got to know what prodigal means or you're going to go rogue on me. So listen to this. The word prodigal, depending on the context, can mean a couple of things. One, if you're talking about the son, it means wasteful. Wasteful. If you're talking about the father and the father's response to the son and what the son did in that story, we'll read the story in a minute, you, it, you come out with this, lavish. We even sang about his lavish love for us. It means extravagant. The father, the prodigal God, the lavish, extravagant God. Let me ask you a question. Has what God has done for you, would you call that lavish and extravagant? Oh, if you've been forgiven much like me, listen, that prank call wasn't the only thing I did as a kid. I'm just saying. There'll be more stories to come. And they're a lot worse than that one. But let me tell you something. I know how much my father loves me. And prodigal God, he is my prodigal father. So let's read this story. Let's go through the story together. And let's see what it says. But I want to show you something about Tim Keller. Let me give you just a quick flyover. There you go. Perfect. Thank you. So Tim Keller says this in the book, The Prodigal God. By the way, it's a great book. One of, the, one of my favorite books about Tim Keller. He says this, God's love and forgiveness can pardon and restore any and every kind of sin or wrongdoing. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe he's able? Oh, no, no, no. Let me say that again. Do you believe he's able to forgive any and every wrongdoing? Yes. But let me ask you this question. Do you believe he's willing? Yes. All right, good. A lot of people know he's able, but not so many are sure about willing. Listen to this. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. 
There is no evil that the Father's love cannot pardon, and there is no sin that is a match for his grace. Even dialing zero and calling the fire department on your best friend. His grace is enough. Can I get an amen? I want us to dive into the story together. When you open your Bible, Luke chapter 15, go there, verse 11. If you have your tablet, your Bible, your phone, whatever you use, or your amazing memory, right? Whatever you use, I want to go. I'm using the NIV today. So listen to this in uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus continued as the first line. Now, it's interesting. That means he was doing something before. And remember what we say around here? Context is king, Context is king. So let me frame this for you and let you know what was going on before. This is not the first story he told. In fact, he had just told the story about what's called the parable or the story of the lost sheep. And in that story, an owner had 99 sheep. One wandered off, went astray. He left the 99, went and found the one, and returned the sheep. So even though the sheep was lost, we have to be careful. This isn't evangelism. This is repentance. Okay, and I'll clarify that for you in a minute. So the first one was a parable of the lost sheep. Now look what happens after the sheep is returned, and Jesus makes this comment. He says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, mind that word, repents, than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. That's how he ends that parable. The next parable is a parable of the lost coin. You have the lost sheep, the lost coin. And now he goes from one right into another. Remember, in Koine Greek, there is no break. There's no paragraph stop. There's no punctuation. He's literally on a roll. It's a narrative. So it'd be like if somebody was talking to you and they end, they end that story, it says this, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins. He goes right into another story of a woman who lost a coin. He's not stopping. There's not a break. There's no go to the refrigerator and get your Hershey bar out of the freezer. It's literally, am I the only one who does that? Okay, literally, actually we do lilies, not, not Hershey's. So, keto friendly. So, he just keeps going. He never stops. He just keeps moving. And he goes into that. And in, in verse 10, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There's that word again, repents. Notice that word keeps coming up. Now, let me tell you what repentance is and what it's not. Here's what it's not. It is not groveling at the altar in fear, shame, and condemnation because you're sorry for your behaviors. And you're sorry for your sin. We have likened that to repentance, not that there can't be an element of sorrow. There's godly sorrow that leads to life. But repentance, literally, by the very definition of the term, literally means to turn. I've done this a dozen times, if not more. So here's a dozen and one, 13. So you're going this way. And we like to say it this way. How's that working for you? So you're going this way. You're doing your own thing. You're on your own. You've taken all the cheers and you're saying, God, I got this. We ever pray that way? You know, it's just not that big a deal. God, I've got this. Or really, I don't want to bother God. Or really, I don't want God involved. So God, it's not that big a deal. I got this. You're going your own way and you realize it's not working. Here's what repentance is. You fall to your face and you weep before God. And you grovel and plead for forgiveness. Hello? Somebody help me. Wrong. No. I'm sorry. It was a setup for somebody. So here's the deal. 
As you're going, you literally come to your senses. We'll see the fog lifts. You go, wait a minute. I'm going to change my mind about this. So repentance means you literally turn and you go back from where you came. That's all repentance is. It means to turn. But here's the thing. It's not turning from a behavior. The, the actual focus is what you're turning to, not what you're turning away from. Did you hear that? A lot of times they say, I got to quit doing this. I got to stop doing this. I need, to, I need to get my act together, and that way God will love me, and, and, and he'll be there for me. And it's like, wait, wait a minute. You're missing the point. The point isn't what you're turning from. The point is who you are turning to. Let me say it again. The point is not what you're turning from. The point is the person you're turning to. Your hope is in a person, not an act, not an event, not a quitting not a stopping, not a gritting your teeth and trying harder. Your life is in a person. Your source is him. So, so keep going to the story, all right? So let's pick it up. Verse 11, Jesus continued. Notice the story. They end the one. He's continuing. I mean, he, Jesus is on a roll. He's a preaching machine right here, okay? Listen to this. Verse 11, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate, so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, which was a bunch. He just got his inheritance, right? Look what happens. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. I want to park there just for a moment and unpack that just for a sec. First of all, you got two sons, an older and a younger. The younger says, I'm ready to get out of the house. What 16, 17 year old hasn't said, I can't wait to move out of the house? Or was I the only kid that thought that? Did anybody else just show a quick survey? Okay, thank you, three of you, and the rest of you are not doing well, okay? So here's the deal. So I, I couldn't wait. So I was always having this conversation. The younger brother here says, I can't wait to get out of here. In fact, he goes to his father and poses a question. He goes, can I have my inheritance? Now, we think, and even some commentators and some preachers have said, he did that because he disdained his father. That's not really the case. In fact, under Jewish law and under Roman law, it was actually okay and legal for you to request your inheritance. And a father, if he chose to, could indeed release his inheritance. The way that worked was the older son would get twice and the younger son would get one. So he'd get two-thirds and the younger son would get one-third. And so this younger son went and did according to the law he requested. So he wasn't disdaining. He wasn't saying, you're dead to me because I've even heard preachers say, well, he was just wishing his father was dead. No, he wasn't. Let's not make him out what he's not to be. Let's give, let's handle the word of God with integrity, okay? And let it say what it says. What it said was he was ready to get out of the house and get out on his own. So he took his inheritance and he takes off to what the Bible calls a far country, which is interesting because I don't know about you, but going to a far country, it's like the grass has got to be greener over there on the other side of the fence. You ever felt that way or thought that? Or am I, again, the only human? So here's the deal. Here's what I've learned the hard way. The grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. The grass is greener where you water it. I thought that was a really good one. I thought, man, dramatic pause. That's all I get. Okay, let me say it again and then go on my Facebook page because I made a picture about it. It's really cool. Man, I thought this was going to be like epic. Man, first crowd, usually asleep, love that one. So what's wrong with you folks? All right, here we go. I tell you what, if you laugh really loud at this, even if it's a courtesy laugh, we'll, we'll get you out on time. So here we go. You ready? 
So he goes away to the far country. That's like saying the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. <laughs> no, no, not yet. I'm not. It's not the punchline. Jeez. Wow. I feel like Rodney Dangerfield up here. I get no respect. Tough crowd. Tough crowd. Here's the deal. So here's the deal. Thinking that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. There's no way. The, gr the grass is greener where you water it. Amen. You have a great week. No, I'm sorry. So you got a couple of things here to go. Listen, not long after that, he went and he, he set off for this distant country. Why? Because it's always better over there. It's always going to be better somewhere else. It's all, I just need something new. I need a change. I, I, it's, it's always better somewhere else. After he had spent everything there, there was a severe famine. So when you think it can't get worse, he lost everything. Now there's a famine in the whole country. Now everybody's in need, but he's in double need because he has nothing. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Mind you, he's Jewish. Mind you, pigs are untouchable. They're unclean. That is by the Levitical law. In fact, they, they couldn't even be in the vicinity, and they didn't even raise pigs there. That was up in that horrible place called Samaria. So that faraway land was probably Samaria. It's probably 15 miles from home. But for him, it was a faraway place. He was gone. And he has to do the unthinkable, and that is not just humble himself, it's humiliate himself. There's a difference. Humbling is a choice. It's something you do. You take a lower position. This is humiliation. This is downright shame. And he now begins to tend the stable of pigs. In fact, it's so bad. You think it can't get worse? Verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. You know you're low when you're envying what the pigs are eating for dinner. You know it's bad. And I would say, have you ever been there? Well, not literally in a pig pen, but you feel that. You feel that. When he came to his senses, you know, there comes a day because God knows how to jerk the slack out of our chain. Amen? Where the fog lifts. And it's as though when Paul, as the scripture says, when they laid hands on him, the scales fell from his eyes and his eyes were opened. It's the same thing. The fog lifts. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, and now he starts rehearsing a speech. I got to talk to my dad. I got to go back. Remember the essence of repentance? What does it mean? It means to turn and to go back. So again, it's not about what he's turning from. It's about what he's going back to. Who is he going back to? His father. He's going back to his father. And look what happens. He says, here's my speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Verse 19, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Boy, how many of us have said that? And God says, that could not be further from the truth. You're worthy because I make you worthy. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I make you worthy. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. The good news is he got up and he went to his father. Now, what he was expecting was what I was expecting on that Saturday morning when we were going to the firehouse. I thought, this is going to be bad. I'm going to have to tell firemen that I pranked them. And, of course, my idea of a fireman is they were all huge and massive and buff and mean. And, ah, you know, I thought, they're going to kill me. 
All night long, I dreaded. Can you imagine how he felt? The humiliation. He's covered in this pig stuff, sty stuff. And he has to get up and he goes. And look what it says. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Let me just say something to you out of love. The father sees you. You need to hear this. The father sees you. And he's not filled with disdain. He's not disappointed. He's not even mad at you. He's not even annoyed with you. The Father sees you, and He's filled with compassion. That word compassion means to be moved in the gut. It's the wrenching of a gut. His gut is wrenched for you. That's how much he loves you. And here's what's interesting. Somebody must have either came, he was either waiting on the porch or somebody came and said, look, look, your son returns. And it says this, he was filled, he saw him filled with compassion. And then the only time in the Bible we get any sense that God rushed or hurried or ran. It's the only time ever we see him in a hurry. And what he was in a hurry was to recover one who was lost. Are you the son? Here's what we don't want to do is just make this all about us. Because really this story is about him. This story is about the father. That's why we're calling it the prodigal, the lavish God. Now look what happens. He went to his father. He's a long way off. He's filled with compassion. Look what the father did. Look what the father did. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against you. He starts to do his speech. I got this great speech. Give me a second. Heaven against, and against you, I am no longer worried to be called your son. Before he could keep going, the father cuts him off. But the father, but the father... He cuts him off. You know what the word but means? It negates everything that goes before it. I love you, pastor, but. Let me tell you, when I hear that, it's like, oh, brace yourself. Shield of faith, sword of the spirit, armor of God, it's coming. You ever get that from somebody, from a, from a friend? Hey, I love you, but. You're awesome, but. See, because anything that comes before but gets negated. And in this case, the father cuts him off. He's trying to say, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I've sinned, but. That's what God says to you and me. He says, but. I don't care. As far as the east is from the west. By the way, it's a long way. And so farther than your arms will ever reach. He says, I, I just release all that iniquity. It's gone. I wipe it away. And some of you are looking at me like, that's just not fair. I can't believe he's that good. Oh, oh, you need to get to know our daddy. You need to get to know our Abba, our Papa. He's that good. He's that good. It's not just a catchy song that Chris Tomlin borrowed from somebody else and recorded. It, he is a good, good father. Truly good, good father. Listen to this. So, but the father said, he just totally ignored that confession. Like, Forget it. Forget it. Bring back, he says, quick, bring the best robe, put it on, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf. I mean, he's like, we're about to throw a party. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Let's go to the firehouse and we're going to give you a tour and show you what these men do. You can see this thing from the inside out. You want to see a fire truck? You're going to get to get on a fire truck. You interested in a bucket truck? You're going to go up in a bucket truck. I mean, you get to honk the horn. And flip the switch on the siren. And you're the kid who committed a crime. But we're going to reward you. That's grace. That's grace. That's your God for you. 
that's how much he loves you. But, but, for a son of mine, look what he says. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Verse 24, for the son of mine, look what he says. My son, not that kid. Not that kid. He didn't turn to his wife and say, your boy, your son. Sometimes we do that, right? You need to talk to your daughter. You need to talk to your dog. Your dog, you know what I'm saying? He says, no, my son. He makes he, ownership. He was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Let's finish the story. Meanwhile, the older son, uh-oh, the older son. We forgot about the older son, right? There's an older brother. And let's look at how happy he is that his lost brother has returned. How he, too, is ready to celebrate, right? <laughs> when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He didn't know. So he called one of the servants and said, hey, what's going on? Your brother, the servant seems excited. Your brother has come home. He replied, and your father has killed the calf because he has him back safe and sound. You can just see the excitement. He's like, this is amazing. We're having a party. No more work for the day. We only work half a day today. We're going to party. And look what happens. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Well, I'm not even going in the house. I'm not going to the wedding. I'm not going to the funeral. Any older brothers in your world? So look how much the father loves the older brother. He goes out to him and pleads with him. This is the same father, the same God who ran now goes out the same father, the same God who pleads. What is your image of God? An ogre sitting on a throne, just waiting for you to mess up? Is it, is it this old, white-haired, almost Santa Claus figure that's just waiting for you to mess up so he can thump you off the planet? Listen, if he was going to thump you off the planet, none of us would be sitting here. The fact that you have a pulse means you have a purpose and a place still and there's a plan and you're in it so the father who some of us have vilified just be this just watching for us to mess up waiting for us to make a mistake because we have to fear the lord we have to we have to be in terror of him now look what happens the older brother became angry refused to go in his father went out and pleaded with him verse 29 but he answered his father but the father's pleading, but. The father's humbling himself, but. The older brother can't hear it because he's so angry. You ever been with somebody who's so escalated they can't even hear the truth? I was, I was in one of those moments with somebody, and, and they were so upset because they didn't know the whole story. When they got the whole story and got the truth, because they were so escalated they couldn't come down, so they fought for the lie. Instead of going, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, okay, I didn't have all the information. Instead, they just continued to fight knowing it wasn't true. You haven't ever done that, have you? So look what happens. We'll land. This is awesome. Verse 29, but he answers, Father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. No drama here. I've been slaving for you. Drama king. And never disobeyed your orders. God, perfect kid. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Can you just feel that? But when this son of yours, wait a minute, isn't he his brother? 
this son of yours. You hear the disdain in this? He's completely detaching, completely disconnecting. When this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, who said anything about prostitutes? We didn't even read that earlier. That wasn't even in there. You think he may be adding stuff? Comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. He's like, you're darn tootin', I'm mad. I got a right to be mad. I'm entitled to be angry. Verse 31. My son. Oh, look how the father responds. Instead of saying, you're getting a whooping and this is all over with, he just says, my son. The father identifies him as his. <laughs> look what he says. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And then look what he says. And everything I have is yours. He's saying, you always had it. You, you never didn't have it because you've been here. He's just reminding him, you're right in the middle of it. You want a calf? You want a goat? You want a bull? You want an elephant? It's all yours. Whatever, you, it's, it's always been yours. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. And then look what the father does. He reminds him, this is your brother. He restores him. He says, because this brother of yours, see that? This brother of yours, term of endearment, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is, in, and is found. Each of those stories end with celebration. And here's the thing. I don't know where you are right now in your walk. I don't know where you are in your journey in Christ and in faith, but here's the thing. It may be you need to turn around it may be that you come in here and everything looks great for an hour and a half. But then you go out there and it's a whole different thing. And I get that. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. This thing about repentance, it almost sounds daunting, but actually it's, it's as simple as saying, I don't even know that I can stop this stuff I'm repenting from. But if I think if I turn to him, I won't have time to mess with this stuff. Because again, it's not about the stuff. It's about who you're turning to. And could it be that God is calling you the father, the prodigal God, the lavish God is calling you to turn to him and let him take care of the stuff. See, the problem is we get the cart before the horse and we think, I got to take care of all this stuff and then I'll go get right with God. How's that working for you? It's not and it won't ever. So that's the call this morning. Recognize how much God loves you, that he is a prodigal in the sense that he's lavish and extravagant in his love for you and turn to him. The stuff, the behavior, the sin, really? You think you're going to whip that? How about turning to him and let him fight the fight on your behalf? Give him a chance. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you as sons and daughters, as family. And in a sense, we've wasted and squandered stuff too. Oh, the good news enters in life and life to the full, life more abundantly. The good news enters in. 
that reminds us that Jesus Christ himself gave his life for us so he could give his life to us, so he can live his life through us. Where it's not our battle anymore, it's not our fight anymore, it's not our striving anymore, it's not our struggle anymore, it's his. Father, give us grace that we would come to our senses and see that you've already been watching us and you already have had compassion on us, even on our worst day and our worst moment. There is enough mercy and enough grace for all of us. I thank you, Father, that you don't have to let go of one to hug another. You don't have to, have to ignore somebody to go after another. That, Lord, you're capable. Your arms are capable of taking us all in at the same time. So thank you that there's more than enough love, more than enough mercy, more than enough grace. And Father, for those that are here that need to make that turn, Father, invite them even now to make that turn in their heart. Not just away, but to you. If that's you here right now, every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a sec. If that's you, I'm not looking for a show of hands. I don't even want to know because it's not going to matter because I can't keep you accountable. But here's the deal. In your heart, if you're saying, that's me, I need to turn, I need to turn, do it. Just simply say, Lord, I'm turning right now to you, to you. I need you. I need you. Open my eyes that I might see my ears that I might hear, my heart that I may know the truth that makes me free. Just, just say it. You don't have to say it fancy. You don't have to say it. Just say, I'm turning to you. Just say it in your heart. No demonstrative, no drama, no grandstanding. I'm turning to you. Do that in your heart. James 4.8, if you'll draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. It's very simple. It's so simple we miss it. So, Father, I thank you that as hearts are turning to you, you're turning to them. You've been just waiting. You've been there. Never left. You never forsake them. You've been there just waiting. Open their eyes. That they can behold you. We're going to close after I pray, finish praying, and we're going to have people here at the front. If you want to come talk to anybody, it's always good just to share with somebody and say, hey, I'm turning. Just turn. You don't have to go into an explanation. You don't have to say from what, but you can just say, I'm turning to him. That's it. And just let somebody pray with you and let somebody encourage you. So I'm going to invite our prayer team to go ahead and come up here. If you would be here, our elders, you guys come up here to the front. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for truth that sets us free. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We lean into it. We walk into it. We embrace it. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have an amazing Father's Day.